Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, August 26. Another way to handle pain and sorrow is to tell yourself, what is happening now is only flotsam on the river of time. What you feel now won't last. Dwell on the thought of eternal bliss, which will be yours once you attain inner freedom. I remember at one point I was just, I'd seen Swami after an absence either of some days or longer than that. And I saw him, and he'd been having a lot of health problems, and he was still having them. This was in the last years of his life. I said, Swamiji, how are you? Oh, he said, compared to eternity, I'm just fine. Which meant he wasn't, but compared to eternity, he was just fine. Which actually was a very interesting way to think about it. I was reminded of an incident from a long time ago um, in my friendship with Jyotish. This was before he was married, so it would have been like in the very early 70s. And he lived in a dome, which had been one of the early uh, domes constructed at the Ananda community starting in the late 60s and the 70s. Um, All of those domes, most of those domes, were burned down in uh, 1976. And then some of them were rebuilt as domes and others were rebuilt as conventional houses. But the first design of geodesic domes, which had been designed by Buckminster Fuller, they had not yet worked out the outer covering, worked it out in the sense that one of the advantages and the strengths of a dome is that it's this interlocking series of triangles, made the geodesic domes. They're not, they're not a smooth dome. They're triangles bolted together, tri- tri- uh, wooden struts cut into triangles, and then bolted together with metal plates. That's the frame. So when you have the whole thing before you cover it, it's actually this beautiful geometric structure um, curving like this. They're very nice, very nice buildings and very nice to be inside. But there was a difficulty with that outer skin because part of what would happen in the dome is that the wood would shrink and swell and just move a little bit, which continually caused whatever was on the surface to crack. And so I don't, I don't actually know what the original covering was. It might have been plywood. Um, it seems to me that it must have been plywood. Some of them were sprayed with a kind of uh, foam that also it would shift and it would swell and, and uh, shrink in the heat. So, so in other words, leak, leak. Think leak. Think water coming in where water is not welcome and you have pretty much defined a geodesic dome at Ananda in those early years. Eventually they put shingles around them, and Swami actually built a roof over his dome. So it was like his dome was like a car parked in a carport. And you don't really see it until you're sort of standing at certain angles, and then you realize that there's a rounded dome and there's there's a roof above it because nothing else worked. And of course that worked beautifully in the end. so Jyotish was living in one of these exceedingly leaky domes, and in those years, the climate at Ananda village was very dramatic. We had like 60 inches of rain in six months. 
So it was very, very, the winters were very wet and the rains were just torrential. And Jyotish is very detached from the things of this world. He was named as Swami Kriyananda's successor with very good reason. He's always had a very deep spirit, very anchored in the infinite, and he participates in this world very nicely. But it's not, it's not where his, his sense of true reality is. So he was in this dome, and his dome leaked so much from a few particular places that he had rigged this system where he had a, a, a couple of funnels that were capturing most of the water coming down this pipe and then going through this really big funnel and then down like this, and then the water would go into his sink and then it would just go down the drain and out of the house. And it worked. I mean, it worked. It was a little jerry-rigged, but it worked. There it was. And it, when it was really raining hard, you not only heard the rain on the roof of the dome, you actually heard it rushing through the funnels and through the pipes and then out. So it was the sound of many rushing waters. It was very biblical. His house was very biblical because of this. So he was there, and I came in, and it was a winter night, and he was... And we didn't have electricity, so illumination would be a propane light. So your whole house would be in shadow, but you would have one light, and then you would have whatever you needed. Or we had kerosene lights that we would carry from place to place. So I walk in, and his house was in shadow as usual, as was usual, and he was sitting very comfortably in his armchair with a little cup of tea by his side, just kind of perched in the middle with the rain on the roof and the water rushing by him and just going out, just as comfortable as could be. I looked at it, I said, Jyotish, how can you stand this? It just seems so crazy. Of course, I could stand it too, but it just seemed like, this is crazy. Jyotish sort of blinked, like, what, what? Oh, yeah, and then he observed what I was talking about. He said, well, he said, I feel that I can endure anything that's temporary. He said, and when I stop to think about it, everything is temporary. And I've never forgotten that. Just so simple, isn't it? It's like I can do anything, endure anything as long as it's temporary. And when you compare it to, to our ultimate destiny, or even to leaving this planet, everything here is temporary. Swamiji said when he was a young monk at SRF, there was another man who was with him there who was, who was prone to moods, especially prone to these really deep and dramatic depressions. And he said, once his friend came in and he was just feeling so low, and he sort of slumped on the bed next to Swamiji and sighed deeply, you know, in this state of deep depression, which is not funny when you're in it. Okay, so he was there. And Swami thought he would try to cheer him up. He said, friend, you know, why be so upset? How long can this mood last? 40, 50 years? Because Swami just thought, even if this lasts your whole life, you know, you're the disciple of a great master. It's going to end. But his friend did not consider that comforting. He said he looked horrified and, as Swami put it, ran screaming from the room, which he probably didn't actually do. But effectively, that's how he did it. So, of course, this doesn't always work. But at the same time, it can work. Because everything ends. Swami made the interesting observation that the reason people say that hell is eternal is because when you're in it, you feel it's going to last forever. And of course, that is part of what frightens us. Will this ever change? Can I ever get out of this? A very dear and wonderful friend of mine who died recently, 
had had a, a, pro- a progressive lung disease, which over time just gradually took his energy and his, his, um, his options away from him. He lived much longer than the doctors expected and had a, a, a very high quality of life for a single reason. Every time something would happen, I mean, at first he just lived normally, then he needed oxygen to sleep, then he needed supplemental oxygen if he was going to exert energy, then he needed supplemental oxygen just to live, and just like, you know, step by step. Then he began to have trouble with his hands, and whereas he'd done a lot of uh, work with his hands, working, he had a workshop and he did lots of things, you know, it just little by little. So then he just started doing things more over the internet, less with his hands. And each time his wife said, he told her, well, if this is as bad as it gets, I can handle this. And that was just in his mind. And then it would get worse. And he would say, well, if this is as bad as it gets, I can handle this. And then finally, it just came on him sort of suddenly. He went to the emergency room. He came home and he said, no, this is it. It's over. And then he just let his body go, and within a few days, he'd exited his body. But each time, he just compared what was happening to what was possible, looked at the big picture, looked at what he still had, didn't just allow himself to become shrunken down, and just, if this is it, I can live with this. And sort of that's, it's like we always have to see things in proportion, and and forget what might have been, and forget what we wanted, and Forget our imaginary ideas. Just like another way to handle pain and sorrow is to just realize everything passes. Just everything passes. It's hard to to realize that. When a man was in our community was going through some very difficult times, it's just many, many things has conspired, as happens to people. Like one thing goes wrong and then three or four other things go wrong. And he, he said to Swami, you know, What am I to do? And Swami's answer was really simple. He said, all karma ends eventually. And that wasn't like a huge comfort, but it was just a reminder that all conditions except satchitanandam, which is everlasting, ever-conscious, ever-new bliss, all conditions but satchitanandam are temporary. So if we have a long dry, difficult spell, it wouldn't be coming to us unless it was the only way to freedom. That's how I often think about it. If Divine Mother could take me to freedom by any other route, she would take me through that route. And there's also a divine law, which is a little hard at times to really appreciate, especially if the suffering is happening to someone else, that God never sends us something without also sending us the strength to bear it. That doesn't mean that we walk through unscathed or we never struggle. But there's always a corresponding grace if we will turn ourselves toward that grace. And sometimes the entire challenge, which can last a long time, is to turn ourselves toward that grace. The most unusual experience I've ever seen of very difficult karma handled in an extraordinary way was from someone that I don't know and and. I might be projecting, but I wasn't the only one who felt this way. For many years, like maybe 12 times or more, I I was part of the leadership of a tour group that went to India, starting in 1987, when India was a very different country than it is now. And one of the places we would go to is the very holy city of Varanasi, Benares. 
And there is an old section to that city where you go into these very, very narrow streets and these old markets, and it's a wonderful place to wander. And there's sort of an entry. There's a few entries and exits from the more modern part of the city into the old city. And our group went every year, and we were very recognizable. We were 30, almost always Americans. Um, just, just We just showed. And so people in the town got to know us because we came and went. And a number of people, in addition to the leaders of that tour, would go on that trip with us every time we went. And near the entrance, one of the entrances to that market, there was a beggar. I do not remember precisely what was wrong with the beggar, but he was not able to walk in a normal manner. So he either sat, or it seems to me he half lay, on a little, a little platform with wheels, you know, like a little dolly that you would move something. And somehow he sat on that dolly with wheels, and whether he used his hands or his feet, I don't know, to propel himself. That's how he lived. And he couldn't work, so he lived by begging. I mean, it was about as horrific an infirmity that your mind could imagine. It's everything you think of when you think of impoverished conditions that you don't want to have to see. But there was something about that man. He was absolutely radiant. And when you saw him, you just felt so much, I mean, I look down when I think about it, you felt so much joy. He just radiated joy. He gave joy. You felt blessed by his presence. And we, a number of us were aware of him. And when we'd go back, he would always be there. And he, he began to greet us because we knew each other. Sometimes you felt so happy in his presence, you forgot to give him money because it didn't cross your mind that this man needed anything from you. Now, it would be very easy to feel very distressed about what he was going through, but somehow he turned it. He turned it into an opportunity not to live in the, what was undoubtedly horrific, and I don't know what circumstances he lived in. They couldn't have been pleasant. But somehow in his consciousness, he was not living in the present infirmity. He was living somewhere in the totality of bliss. And it was, it was transparent and set him apart completely from people who are far more able-bodied and more, seemed more, should have been in better shape than him. Um, extraordinary, extraordinary demonstration of the power of the spirit to transcend the circumstances of the body. And the most extreme example proves the rule. Another way to handle pain and sorrow is to tell yourself, Whatever is happening now is only flotsam on the river of time. What you feel now won't last. Dwell on the thought of eternal bliss, which will be yours once you attain inner freedom. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.